We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Are you ready? I'm super excited about this series. I've been in anticipation for a few months on this and uh, just, just so excited to lay a foundation uh, for this series, for where we're going in the month of March. And so I want to give you a little context on this theme, Friend of Sinners, today. And I'm going to try to stay calm. Okay, my goal today was just teach them, just stay calm. And it didn't really turn out that way in the first service. But we're going to try today because you guys are a lot calmer than the first. <laughs> and you're more reserved. And so I'm sure it'll work out real good here. Uh, we hear this term, friend of sinners, and, and, and really it's, it, it seems like an oxymoron because it's like, um, you know, Jesus... Here he was on earth, 33 years, 33 and a half to be exact, but three and a half years was his earthly ministry. But during those three and a half years, um, he, this was the label that the, the, the church leaders, the religious leaders gave Jesus. And it, it just seems like, man, friend of sinners, like he, here is a guy who was perfect. Someone say perfect. Like sinless. Like he never had a wrong thought, uh, tempted, but never acted upon it. Um, and so here was this guy, the son of God, the son of man and, and, and the church, someone say the church, the church leaders. And they were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and they were the leaders of those days. They, they didn't really vibe with Jesus, them and JC, they just weren't gelling. You know what I mean? They, they, they weren't hanging out with him for the most part. We only see a few stories where he actually uh, got together with them. But most of the time, it was accusations and, and really um, hateful things that he would say, that they would say to Jesus and his disciples. So uh, my question to start out is, why was Jesus accused of being a friend of sinners? Like, like why was he accused of that? Um, and these religious leaders, they were relentless in their pursuit to, to bring up a whole lot of things about Jesus. But this one thing they kept coming back to, they kept coming back to friend of sinners. And they kept attacking who Jesus decided to do life with. Someone say life with. Like, like, like this is who he did life with. Like this, this was his reason to coming, and, and, and I have to wonder why this happened. Like, was it because he put top priority on relationship and not religion? Uh, acceptance rather than performance? Was it because he valued friendship over behavior and they didn't? Well, I, why was he labeled this? And, and we see in the Gospels that he wasn't just labeled friend of sinners, but he was labeled a whole lot of things. But the nickname that they, they, they chose to uh, go with was friend of sinners. 
It was the most common nickname that they loved to use. And basically what they were saying is, Jesus, we don't like the people that you're associating with. We don't like the hurt people, the outcasts, the, the, the broken, the misfits, and the lost people of society. I mean, who allows a prostitute to interrupt a church meeting and break open a jar of oil and begin to wash Jesus' feet and begin to worship him in the middle of a church meeting? Like, like Jesus, we're not feeling that. Like, like, you need to tell this woman to stop. And Jesus stopped them and said, no, she's doing what she's supposed to do. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. I mean, this was Jesus who was found with the Samaritan woman and the Jews and the Samaritan. There was some racial tension back then. And you, you didn't see them interacting. But Jesus comes and has a conversation with her and sits down at a well and hears about her broken and her busted marriages and relationships and, and, and begins to speak life. And, and healing oil comes in and begins to mend that broken heart in this woman. I mean, this is Jesus. Like, he was the one that went to the parties and, 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 and sat and had conversations with them. You know, the parties where everyone was getting wasted. Or as the young people say, lit. Everyone was lit at these parties. And Jesus decided to sit down and have a conversation next to the man or the woman with the glass of Bacardi. Jesus, friend of sinners. This is who I'm talking about today. And, you know, it goes on. I mean, just one thing after another. I mean, this was Jesus. Like, he chose, like, his dream team. And they were 12 really misfits. And uh, one of them, his name was Peter. And Peter was that guy who loved Jesus, but he said, I still cuss a little. I love Jesus, but he had that shirt. You know, some of you got that shirt. Like, I love Jesus, but I still cuss a little. And like Jesus, or Peter rather, he had what we call a little bit of an anger problem. Like, he didn't show up to anger and eggs back then. And um, some of you are slow, but you're worth waiting on. <laughs> and so once in a while, his anger would get the best of him. And he would, he loved knives. He collected knives. And so once in a while, he'd just pull that knife out and just start going off on people. One time, he cut the dude's ear off. Boop! Ear just fell on the ground. Jesus seen the ear, picked it up, put it on the guy's head. He said, can you hear me now? <laughs> that was the best joke. That was the best joke you're going to get. That was the best one you're going to get. That was funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Jesus, friend of sinners. And I love this about Jesus because he goes, listen. I'm going to write my own mission statement. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to write my own mission statement. Check this out on the screen. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I, the son of man, I, the son of man, have come to what? Seek and save who? Those who are lost. One more time. Let's read the whole thing. I, the son of man, have come to seek and save those who are lost. He said, you're right, Pharisees, church leaders, elders, deacons. You're right. This is the reason I showed up on the scene. I was in heaven. I came to earth to seek and to save those who are lost. 
See, Jesus was always found loving those the church judged. Jesus was found sitting at the table of those they were afraid of. And Jesus was found embracing with grace those that would run from them. Jesus, friend of sinners. Interesting, they continued this harassment with Jesus and his followers. Well, your followers don't do this and you don't do that. And, you know, why are you healing on the Sabbath? And why you do this? And why you do that? And, and it was a constant bombardment of the religious mindsets of those days. And very interesting. I was thinking about this on the way into church today and, and how Jesus had his team. He had a dream team. Amen. We have a dream team here. Jesus had a dream team of 12 individuals. And this thought came to my mind and I just put it in my phone real quick because I didn't have it in my notes. I'm like, wow, Jesus had a dream team. But on Jesus's dream team, there was a thief. There was a liar. There was a doubter. And there was a denier. Imagine that. And you think you're not qualified to serve on the dream team. You're doing all right. Your sin is like JV compared to their varsity sin. Come on now. You're on the JV team compared to them, right? I mean, I mean, you had a dude that was robbing the tithes and offerings. Like Jesus is like, hey, we need to buy something. And, you know, Judas is like stealing the money. I mean, Peter's cursing out church people in the parking lot. <laughs> cursing out the parking team. Didn't mean to talk about you last Sunday. Peter's like mad because the kid's line is backed up a mile. He's going off on people. Peter's like, just you never know. He's that guy. You know that guy. You work with that guy. You may be that guy. Like you have no filter. <laughs> you just have no filter and it just comes out. And then you regret what you just said. That, that was Peter. And, 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 and here Jesus is and he picks this dream team. And, but... They just, they, they didn't care. And so Jesus just kind of would say things to these church leaders of those days. And he would, he would tell illustrations and stories to try to get them to realize his purpose for being here. And he'd say things like this. I'm called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's my calling. And he would use illustrations like if a farmer has a hundred sheep and one gets lost. Someone say one. Does he go and find the one or does he stay with the 99? Well, Jesus said, no, he leaves the 99 to search for the one lost sheep. And it's just story after story. He would say things like, they that are whole, they that are healthy, they don't need a physician. No, they don't need it, but the sick do. And I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. His most famous story had to be the story of the good Samaritan that really connected him to his vision, mission statement. And the good Samaritan was a story about a man who was robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road and and how two individuals saw this man hurting, saw him broken, and they chose to walk by him and do nothing about it. But then a good Samaritan seen this man and he was moved with compassion and he went and did something about the hurting and broken in his community. 
He just didn't say there's just too much of it. We, we can't do everything. He said, no, I can't do everything, but I'm going to do something. Oh, it can be overwhelming living in the society and world we live in because of all the poverty and all the negative things and violence and, you know, all this stuff in society. And we just sit there and say, man, I, it's just too much. I can't do anything. No, no. We're the church. We're the church. Check out Thursday's message. We are the church and we are called to do something. We cannot sit idle while our society is broken and hurting. We cannot sit idle while people are dying over overdoses and all this crazy stuff. We will do something. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan and how that Samaritan did something. So this was his mission. And when it's your mission, it becomes your passion. Do you know your mission? Because whatever your mission is, is what you're passionate about. And some of you haven't discovered your mission, so therefore there's a lack of passion in your life. But once you discover your purpose, my God, once you discover that, it changes everything in your life. So Jesus, who was he? Friend of sinners. Jesus, who was he? Friend of sinners. Such is us. We are the friend of sinners. We are. We are. This is really good news for everyone here and everyone listening. Um, For all of us here today, this is just super duper good news because whether you think you're good or you know that you're bad, the truth is all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have messed up. So this is good news. This is encouraging news that, that I am a friend of Jesus. That I am that sinner. And I am the one he wants relationship with. This is really good news today. This is really good news because Jesus came for us. Jesus seeked us out. And he continues to seek us out. He's in a relentless pursuit. You didn't find him. He found you. Someone say, I found Jesus. No, Jesus found you. You didn't know where you were looking. You were trying to fill that void with substances, relationships, uh, money, and things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was knocking on the door saying, hey, I've been here. When are you going to open it? Open the door. I'm here. And Jesus found us in the mess and the muck and the mire of our sin. And he picked us up. That's what he did because he's a friend of sinners. And friend, he, Jesus, has always wanted one thing. And will always want one thing from his people. His desire, listen to me, lean into this, listen. His desire is to have one thing with you and I. It's called relationship. And, 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 and that's what he wants from you and I because here's my main point today and I want you to grab this because this could change your walk with God. I really believe this. Jesus, with Jesus, this is how it works. Relationship first, change second. Oh, I want you to hear this because some of you were raised in the context of some churches that you, know, you walked in feeling bad but when you left you felt really, really bad. You, you heard messages of hell, fire, and brimstone and condemnation, guilt, and shame. And you felt beat up like, like church was a dread and church was work. And man, do I really want to go and feel that way? And I know the 
pastor's going to slam the pulpit and stomp his foot and he's going to say, you're a sinner going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know what a handbasket is, but I don't know how you can go to hell in a handbasket. I never figured that out. But they get preaching and those preachers and then all this under here shakes and they're it's like a turkey. And they get real angry and their face gets red like a pimple and it's about to pop off. And they portray God as this God in heaven with the Louisville slugger just ready. Go ahead and send, big boy. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Knock you in the head. And I'm sorry. Can I apologize on behalf of the church? Can I apologize on behalf of pastors who had wrong theology? Can I apologize to pastors who were angry, who hated pastoring, who beat the sheep and did not love the sheep? Can I apologize to you for the hurt that was caused in your life growing up as a child? Can I apologize on their behalf? Can I apologize for the person in your home who portrayed God to be some mad God? Can I apologize for, to, to, to the person, to the person who thought that you could never obtain a relationship with God because you were never good enough? Can I apologize to the pastor who stood there and, 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 and never really showed you, showed you his weaknesses? So you thought he was the next in the Trinity. And you thought, I'll never be like that. I could never obtain that. Jesus wants relationship first, change second. And for too long, we've heard in the church, you got to clean up first. Then Jesus will accept you. Wrong. Wrong. I've been fishing and never once did I clean a fish first before I caught it. The opposite was always the truth. I would catch the first fish and then I would clean it I would catch the fish first and then I would clean it Jesus wants relationship first change second change second I want you to look at this illustration Joe you sit here you're Jesus this is Jesus Sam is a friend of Jesus, but doesn't know Jesus yet. The reason he's Jesus is because all growing up in this church, he played Jesus in the Easter plays. <laughs> Some of you don't know that, so I'd throw that out there. Some of you are like, I remember that. <laughs> Jesus wants to sit down and have a conversation first. Because Jesus cares for who you are more than he cares what you can do for him. And so we've got it backwards. Some of you grew up backward. You're like, I got to change for, I got to get my life right with God. Like, like people told you, no piercings, no tattoos, no holes in your jeans, no skinny jeans. Come on now. No gel in your hair. If you drink a Coke, you're going to choke. And some of you grew up that way, like don't cut your hair, don't wear makeup, and don't do this, and don't say that. What can we do? Is there anything we can do in church? Just let me know the things we can do, because the list is long for the things we can't do. And what happened was man-made religions turned into a monument 
turned into a man-made doctrine. Oh, I feel this message for somebody. This is going to help you because some of you have really, you've been in church 20, 30, but you've never had a relationship with Jesus because you think you're not good enough and you think you'll never be good enough. And so what it does, it creates this gap. It creates this tension in your mind that, man, I can't even come into church. I can't lift my hands. He knows what I did this week. He knows the thoughts I had. I can't serve on a team, man, the way I treat my wife, the things that um, I can't. And you, you, you always feel like you're not enough. You're not enough. That's what the enemy tells you. You're not enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be at that spiritual level of so-and-so. And it gets you to, in this comparison trap to compare your spirituality to someone else. You'll never do it. You'll never. You always got that one thing. You'll never get close to God because of that one thing. But Jesus comes and he says, I want relationship first, change second. Check this out. Relationship. Someone say relationship. Relationship. What happens is Jesus wants to get to know you. And Jesus wants you to get to know him. And when Jesus shows up, he shows up with two things, grace and mercy. Grace and mercy are I didn't get what I deserved and I didn't get what I should have deserved. Grace and mercy. He shows up with grace and mercy. And as he gets to know you, as he gets to commune with you, as he gets to have fellowship with you, as he sits down at the well with you and hears your side. I love that about Jesus because he knew her side. He knew she had five husbands and was shacking up with the six. He knew it, but he sat down and gave an ear to listen. Colossians said, let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Jesus said, my conversation with you is always full of grace, and I put a little salt on it. Come on now. You get a baked potato, buddy, you better put butter and salt on that bad boy. Or adobo. Y'all don't know what adobo is, but you'll find that in the Walmart. Go check it out. Some Spanish adobo for all my Spanish people. And, and, and so grace and mercy shows up in the context of relationship. And now the friend, the friend, the person far from God realizes this guy isn't mad at me. He's madly in love with me. So because he has a revelation that this guy, Jesus, he wants to do life with me. He just doesn't want me to come to his house and then wait six days before I say anything to him or talk to him. Like, he wants to be with me in the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to be with Peter. I love Jesus, but I curse a little. He wants to be be with you in your weaknesses, in your valleys, as much as he wants to be with you on the mountaintops of your life. He's the God of the hills and valleys. What happens is, what happens is, The friend now realizes he wants relationship. And because he realizes the goodness of God, check this. If you don't hear anything, hear this. Because he realizes the goodness of God, it leads him to repentance. Oh, my God. 
See, see, we've been taught it's the madness of God that leads you. you it's the, you, you know, you, you got to do everything right. You got to do this in order to come to God. No, it's the goodness. Someone say goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's now the revelation that he has that God is good and I'm bad. I'm a sinner and I need grace and I need mercy and I'm just going to walk with him. And I believe as I walk with him, I become more like him in the things of my past. The failures and the hangups and the hurts and the habits will begin to dissipate in my life as I'm with him somebody shout up in here he cares more about you than he does your sin I know I'm messing some of your theology up it's okay it's what I'm called to do he cares more about you as a person you are not the sin you committed you are not an adulteress. You are not an alcoholic. You are not, you are not that sin. Your DNA, your makeup, you were created in the very image of God. You committed a sin, but you are not that sin. Stop saying it. Stop saying I'm just an alcoholic. I'm just a drug dealer. No, you're not. You are a child of the most high God, redeemed, sanctified, holy, on your way to heaven and on a journey. It's about the journey, not the destination. You're focused on the journey. I'm on the journey. I keep falling. It's about the destination. Don't you dare give up because he wants relationship and he's going to walk with you. He's going to talk with you. He's going to be there when you're struggling. He's going to be there when you feel like a zero. He's going to be there when you take an L, but you can jump right back up and say, my God is with me. I'm about to preach. I think I want to preach today. You can take an L, but you can jump right back. For all the non-millennials, an L is a loss. He wants you. Listen to me. He wants you. He wants you the way you are. He says, I love you the way you are. But I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you the way you are. I'm going to stay with you through the divorce. I'm going to stay with you through the addiction. I'm going to stay with you through the pain of abuse, sexual and mental abuse you went through as a child in your 50 and 40 and still did. I'm going to stay with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. David said, if I make my bed next to hell, God, you are there with me. I feel like preaching this. God, you're there. When I fall away, when I've been out of church for a minute, you're there. He wants relationship. He's your daddy. I have three beautiful kids, and times they disappoint me with their actions and their decisions. But can I tell you one thing that will never change? As a daddy, for my kids, I love them no matter what. You know why? Because they're mine. And God looks down at you and he says, you're mine. I love you no matter what. Your condition will never change your position. 
your condition, I don't care what it is, name it. It don't matter what, it will never change your position as a child of the most high God. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. That's why you're cons- you are valuable to God. I got four points and I'm out of time, but here they are. Write them quick. You are completely accepted. You are completely accepted. I don't care if your daddy didn't accept you. I don't care if he wasn't in your life all growing up. I don't care what dad issues you got. You are completely accepted by your heavenly father. You're accepted. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to get straight A's. You don't have to make the baseball team. You're accepted. He, he loves you. He loves you. Titus 3, 7. Jesus made us acceptable to God. You're acceptable. We have a problem feeling accepted because we think it's about good works and deeds. and How can I be accepted? We strive for more likes and more hearts and more comments and more reshares and more friends on social media. And we take a hundred selfies before we post the one because we want to be accepted. And God said, I already took a selfie. God's selfie is you. God said in Genesis 1.27, I make man snap in my image post. God's selfie is you. He said, this looks pretty good, don't it? Holy Spirit, Father, don't it? Don't, don't Sam look pretty good? Don't he look good? Yeah, he does. He looks like his daddy. He looks like his daddy. He was made in the image. And though he may be yet a sinner, I'm still going to die for him because he's my son. He's my son. He's my son. You'll never accept others. You'll never be a friend of sinners until you can learn that God already accepts you. You can never sit down and have a conversation at the well, the drinking fountain at work, Chrysler, wherever you were. You can never have that until you realize I'm accepted by God. Then and only then does it open a door of invitation. Then and only then does it open a door to share your faith because you know that you're God's child and there's nothing that the enemy can do. Number two, you're unconditionally loved. God didn't say I love you if, I love you when. While you were yet sinners, Christ died. I don't know if someone dying on the cross means love to you, but it sure does to me. So I wouldn't have to go to a crisis eternity so that my sins right now in 2018 could be forgiven. So that the blood could still speak on my behalf when I need it. When I need mercy, when I need grace, it's available for me to tap into. That's unconditional love. That's unconditional love. Number three, you're totally forgiven. When you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you are now saved. You're forgiven from your past. In your past, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. God does not replay your past. He releases your past. Stop turning on the DVR of your past and replaying what happened five years ago, 10 years ago. You can't change what happened. Move forward. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed my transgressions from me. 
The Bible says he throws our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. God has amnesia. Why are you taking a fishing pole and going out and fishing back your past and your neighbor's past and your ex's past and your family's past and your co-workers? You're taking the fishing pole going and fishing out sins that God forgot. Stop it. Your spouse, stop it. It's in the past. You're bringing them back up to God. He's like, I, I don't remember. I got amnesia about your past. It's under the blood. Last point, you're considered extremely valuable. Ladies, you're valuable to God. I'm sorry he treated you that way. I'm sorry he put you down and treated you like a piece of trash. I'm sorry he wasn't the one and you thought he was. I'm sorry for the abuse, the pain of that relationship that you're still dealing with years later. I'm sorry. But you are extremely valuable to your heavenly father. He doesn't make junk. He looked at creation. He looked at Adam and Eve and he said, this is good. This is good. Wow. This is good. This is good. It says in the word, everything God created is good and nothing is to be refused. I love that. He refuses nobody. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you've been bought and paid for by Christ. They tell me there's one thing that creates value, and that is what someone is willing to pay for an item. If that is true, Jesus paid for you and I with his life. That's how valuable you are to him. You are God's prized possession. He calls you his masterpiece. He says, I fearfully and wonderfully made you. You were paid with by his blood, by his death upon that cross. God said, I took extra time and thought of you before you were in your mother's womb. You were no mistake. Your mom and dad told you you were a mistake. Nope, God knew it. God knew it. He said, I made you. I formed you in your mother's womb just the way you are. And I love you the way you are. We allow the enemy many days to steal this principle from our minds. And we feel worthless, don't we? We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like the enemy keeps attacking us. And he does. He's not going to stop. He's a thief. And he wants something that you have. Listen to this. My second closing. I have four. He wants something you have. You know what the enemy wants? Something that he can never get back. He had relationship with the Father. He had it, but he'll never get it back. Think about that. He'll never get it back. So what does he do? The Bible calls him a thief, a snake. Accuser of the brethren. What does he do? He comes to us. Ah, you never be anything. Hey, the way you were raised, no, you can never raise your family better. You're always going to struggle with this and that. Ah, you're worthless. Why are you even going to church? Why are you even serving? Why are you even giving to the church? Why are you on the dream? Come on, you, 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 you. He's trying to steal our identity in Christ because he'll never have it. He'll never have it. He'll never have what we have. He just keeps attacking. He keeps attacking. Because there's something very valuable inside of you. There's something very valuable inside of you and the enemy keeps attacking. Friends, thieves, 
do not break into empty houses. Thieves break into houses that are full of fine jewelry. Thieves stake out houses that they know has wealth. Thieves stake out houses with fancy cars and fancy clothes. Why? They know there's something valuable there. And what that would mean to you, child of God, is there is something valuable inside of you. That's why the enemy's attacking you in a relentless pursuit to get you out of relationship with Jesus. Thieves only break in to valuable houses and places. Stand with me today. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And, and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And, and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me. Jesus name. It's simple as that. And I encourage you find a good local church. If, if you can get to fuel church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things in the lives and families of the people that come here, but find a good church where you can grow in God until next time. God bless you. Have a great week.